So we have been in a series at the movies where we uh, are taking uh, movies and we're, we're trying to find biblical truths in them. And um, I love this idea of this series because in Mark chapter 4, uh, we hear that, uh, we can read that, that Jesus, it says that Jesus only used parables to talk to the public. And, and, um, and, and parables are just made-up stories to, to talk about issues of the day. And that's, what, that's how Jesus taught. That's, that's what, what he, he used to, to speak to people mostly was parables. And I think movies are a grander version of parables. And so we're, we're kind of taking movies and we're trying to pull biblical truths from them. And today we are concluding our At the Movies series. We're going to hear from uh, the man, the myth, the ledge of the Mississippi mudslinger himself. Can you guys give it up for Pastor Jason as he comes to the platform today? Well, I can officially say I've never been introduced as the Mississippi mudslinger. So there's that. All right. Good morning, Anchor Church. How we doing? Hey, last week I was up here doing announcements and I said, hey, you know, we're in that the movie series and next week I can't tell you who's doing it, but I can tell you he's not ready. And some of you were like, wait, are you talking about yourself? And yes, you're right. You win the Sherlock Holmes Award. I was talking about myself. So, um, hey, we're about to find out here in just a couple seconds if I am, in fact, ready or not. Um, it could be. We could have a good time. I was thinking at one point about just playing the movie and just sitting back and letting you watch the whole thing. But um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk about it. Um, so, yeah, I, here we are at the movies. Um, I am really excited about today's message. I'm excited about sharing this movie with you as well. Um, it's not really a, a popular movie, I would suggest, but it's what I would consider. It's still a heartwarming film. It's still a great film, and I would encourage you to see it if you haven't seen it before. But before we go into it, um, I just want to talk to you a little bit about it. Um, I've known about this sermon, this particular sermon, for about a week and a, or not a week, excuse me, a month and a half. So it's been on my mind. It's been rolling around in my mind. The movie's been rolling around in my mind. I've watched it multiple times. Desiree's watched it with me. We've watched it together. We've talked about it, all that kind of stuff. And it, the funny part was, is I started thinking, like, how am I going to use this movie to do what we talked about, finding that faith? Like, how am I going to bring out those biblical ideas, those biblical principles from this movie? And so God started talking to me about it. I felt like it was, he was putting some things on my heart to share. And then we went to teen camp. Uh, back in June, we went to summer teen camp, and the thoughts that I had in my heart were literally some of the thoughts that the very first night speakers shared in their message. So I was like, hold on, God. Like, Literally, she's saying exactly what I was thinking and what was in my heart about today's message. So I took that as confirmation. I took that, yeah, like I'm on the right track. But um, and even the biblical passage that I'm going to speak from today got inspired from that message as well. So I just want to let you know that I'm excited about it and I'm ready to share. Um, so my movie choice for today, it may seem like a funny one. Like I said, it's not a blockbuster hit. It's not an old-time classic. Like, it's, it's, it's probably not even a movie that most of you are familiar with. But the movie is called Christopher Robin. It's a Disney movie, Christopher Robin. How many of you ever heard of Winnie the Pooh? Raise your hand if you ever heard of Winnie the Pooh. See, so you're not out in left field here. How about Piglet? Raise your hand if you heard about Piglet. Yeah, Tigger. You know about Tigger? You can raise your hand as well. All right. So that's this, that's this guy, all right, Christopher Robin. He's the one. He's the human boy who would have all the adventures with Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, Piglet, Eeyore, 
kangaroo, the whole gang out in the Hundred Acre Woods. So that's the movie that we're talking about today. But the funny thing about this movie is Christopher Robin isn't a boy anymore. He's a full-grown adult. But first, the movie does start out with him as a child. Um, now, like I said, you've heard about it. Christopher Robin had a great imagination. He would travel at his home out in the country. He would travel in his home. He had this little tree, and there's like a little knob in the tree that he, or a little hole in the tree that he would climb through. And he would pop out in the Hundred Acre Woods, and he'd have these adventures with Pooh and all his friends. But the crazy part is, is Christopher Robin's growing up. And he's at an age where his mom and dad have decided, Christopher Robin, you're going to go to boarding school. So he's not going to ever go back to the Hundred Acre Woods. At least he doesn't think he is for a long time. So the scene you're about to see is they're having a going away party, a going away celebration for Christopher Robin. There was a big cake. All the animal, all the creatures had just eaten it. So he's going to have a conversation with Pooh. So let's look at that first clip. Come on, Pooh. Where are, we, where are we going, Christopher Robin? Nowhere. Oh, one of my favorite places. Saddle's too tight. What do you like to do best in the world, Pooh? Hmm. Well, what I like best is me and Piglet going to see you. And you say, what about a little something? And I say, well, I shouldn't mind a little something. And it being a humming sort of a day outside. I like that too, but what I like doing best is nothing. How do you do nothing? It's when people call out, what are you going to do, Christopher Robin? And you say, oh, nothing. And then you go ahead and do it. Oh, yes, doing nothing often leads to the very best of something. Christopher Robbins leaving the Hundred Acre Woods. Like the next day, he's dropped off at boarding school. And as it happens to everyone in the world, life happens. So he's not at boarding school very long, and his mom comes to, to tell him some bad news. His father's passed away. So they have a funeral at the home, and at the funeral, Christopher Robin is, you know, in the family. They're being comforted by all the family and friends. And he's told by one of the funeral goers, you're the man of the house now. So he takes that seriously. Like, he goes back to boarding school, and he's like, you know what? I can't, I can't spend my time drawing these pictures. I can't spend my time dreaming and playing and having all this fun. I need to get serious. I need to get serious because I've got to make a career for myself. I've got to have a life. You know, I, my future is ahead of me. So next clip you're going to see is now we have a full-grown adult, Christopher Robin, and he meets someone special. Let's play that next clip. Every 
So Christopher Robin meets his future wife, her name's Evelyn, on the bus. And as you can see, they got married, and, and she's pregnant, and he's going off to war. And it's one of the world wars. He's gone for several years. So he, he's not there for the birth of his daughter. He's not there for her first, second, or third birthday. So as you can see, life's happening all around. War's a real place. It's a real scary place for Christopher Robin. And then he has to come home. He has to come back home to Evelyn, who he hasn't seen in all those years, and his daughter, who he's never met. And again, he's got to get serious about life. He's got to get to work. So we have another clip that I want to share with you about that. Life has really changed, Christopher Robin. The once fun-loving, imaginative kid, now the one who used to dance with his wife in their home, you know, to have fun and, uh, and to just share a time with them. He's now shutting the door in the face of his wife and his children so he can get back to work. So as you can see, life has really changed Christopher Robin. He's had to get serious. He's got to get back to work. And it does pay off. It does pay off. He's at Winslow Enterprises. He's in the luggage department. He becomes the, quote, efficiency manager for that department. So his job is just making sure that everything runs smoothly, that they're making profits, that they're not losing money, that they're, everything that they're doing is making the company get bigger. They sell luggage. This is a time when people don't buy luggage because, well, vacations aren't a thing yet, you know, but, hey, he's still there. And he's been given a task by his boss— Christopher, you're going to have to work this weekend, and you're going to have to figure out how to cut 20% from our budget so that we can have a profit here in the luggage division. And Christopher Robin, first off, is like, 20%? How can I do that? That means I'm going to have to fire some of these people, and the war's over, and your company promised these people good jobs, and now you're not going to fulfill that promise? And secondly, this weekend, I've also planned to go away with my children. I don't get a lot of vacation time for myself, and we were planning to go back to my country home. And you're telling me I have to work, so now I can't go. But Christopher Robin, being the serious man that he is now, he does it because he's thinking about the big picture. He's making a life for his family. So let's watch one more scene. You two don't have to go to the country tomorrow. We've been over this. She needs to play. Christopher, not spend all of her time studying. Rayford Prep is the best. She told me she's done all the reading. Because she would do anything to please you. But there are perfectly good schools here in London that don't require us to send her away. Well, come on, Christopher, you know she doesn't want to go. I went away when I was her age. It'll prepare her for the real world. Set her up for a career which, well, isn't that our responsibility to her? What? Do you even like your job? What's that got to do with anything? You're going to take your limit. One day you're going to crack. Evelyn, look, if, if, I, if I work really hard now, then in the future, our life will be... Will be what will be better? Worse? We don't care. We want you. This is life, Christopher. This weekend is your life. Your life is happening now, right in front of you. Look. Hello. Yahoo. Remember me? I'm your wife. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing. I haven't seen you laugh in years. Evelyn. 
I want to see you have fun sometimes, be silly. I didn't fall for you because you had your career set up. Was it my dancing? <laughs> Actually, yes, it was, it was dancing with you, being held by you. Look, don't make this harder on me. I am sorry. I'll um, take my suitcase upstairs. Where's my suitcase? I didn't bother packing it. So the very thing that he was doing for his family, working hard, making the money, you know, I got to work this weekend so that I can still have my job, so that our company can have profit, and so that we can move forward in our relationship, planning for that future that we all want, that's what's tearing his family apart. His wife's mad at him. You didn't get to see it because for time's sake, but he doesn't relate to his daughter at all. She's a little bit older. They're talking about sending her off to boarding school. Christopher's all for it because that's what happened to him. I mean, he's all for it, yes. It'll prepare her for her career just like it prepared me. And his wife's like, why? That's not even something that we need to be worrying about. She's a kid. She needs to have fun. She needs to have a life of her own. And Christopher can't seem to grasp that. So, when I think about that movie so far, and that's just like the first 12 minutes of the movie, right? Like, we haven't even gotten deep into it yet, right? And right off the bat, like, I'm already bawling and crying like a, like a weirdo in my house. Like, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I don't even have children. And I'm over there crying, like, I'm so sorry. I don't want to send you to boarding school, you know? But, like, can anybody relate to that? I mean, I know for my life, I mean, like I said, I don't have any children, but like I know sometimes I get so bogged down with the details at school, when I'm teaching, here as a youth pastor, like whatever it can be, I can get so bogged down by the little details about how this person's going to feel if I do this, or, or how's my teaching going today, or what's my boss going to say about me. And those details can stress me out, they can frustrate me so much that literally I just shut down. I just get apathetic. And I'm like, look, I don't care about what's going on here. You're lucky I showed up today. Like, that's how I feel. That's how I, that's how I kind of relate to Christopher Robin here, you know. Um, but I don't know. Does anybody else relate to this? Uh, ultimately, Christopher Robin has lost himself. You know, like the, the imaginative kid that he used to be, the fun-loving kid that he used to be, the heartwarming kid that he used to be. He's lost that. You know, in some of its life, I mean, yes, his father died. Yes, he was at boarding school. Yes, he went off to war. Like, there's things about it that could happen to anybody. But his wife is trying to wake him up. He's like, look, we don't want the future. We want you here now. And he doesn't even get it. Whew. Well, there's a story in the Bible, too, about somebody else who was lost, and that's the Bible story that I want to talk to you about today. If you have your Bible or if you have your Bible apps, can you open it with me, please, to the book of Luke, chapter 15. Luke, chapter 15. We're going to start reading in verse 11. Luke, chapter 15, and verse 11. Let's read. This is Jesus talking. He says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. 
About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, somebody say at home with me, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home, somebody say home, home, to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The title of my message today is simply this, come on back home. Let's pray, please. God, we love and we praise you. I thank you for your many blessings, Lord God, this, this message that you laid on my heart, God, the, the thoughts that you put on my mind, the impressions that you put on my heart, God, I in no way, shape, or form are going to be able to present it the way that you want it presented, God, but I'm going to try my best to share with your people what you want them to know today, God. And I, God, I pray for each and every one of us here in this room, God, I pray that you open our ears, you open our minds, and you open our hearts to hear not only your word, but what you're speaking to us today. And God, I pray that many, many, many will choose to come on back home today. In your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. So, this is a very famous parable of Jesus. Pastor Ryan already talked a little bit about what a parable is. He said it was a made-up story that talks about the events of the day. And that's a great definition for it. The only thing I would add to it is that Jesus used it not only to talk about the events of the day, but like spiritual truths as well. And it, it is a made-up story. Like Jesus made up this story on the spot. The Holy Spirit inspired him to do it. But he made it up and he told this story. It's a great story. So we're going to talk about this story. Let's go back 
back to verse 11. Go back to verse 11 and 12. Right off the bat, we meet a father, and this father has two sons. Like, okay, cool. Now, you have to also realize the times that we lived in. This is an agrarian society, agriculture, like they grew up, they worked at home, they were tending the flocks, they were in the fields. These two sons were working hard to build that family wealth. And one day, their father would die, and the inheritance would pass on to each of them. And there was a certain way they did that. I mean, it was a certain way that the Jewish people did that. But imagine the younger of the two sons, he's tired of working. He's tired of doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's tired of being that dutiful son. He's tired of being that obedient son. So he comes to his father and he says, Father, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here. I can't wait for you to die. Can you just go ahead and give me my money now so I can have my life and spend my life the way that I want to? I'm tired of doing this. That's not what he said, obviously, in the text. He said, give me, I want my share of your estate now before you die. But that's basically what he's saying. Father, I can't wait for you to die. So let me just go ahead and get that money now, please. And the crazy part is, the father does it. Like, oh, I, I think that's ridiculous. I'm thinking about like my mom. If I would say, hey, mom, I can't wait till you're dead. She'd be like, uh, go ahead, back up. You know, like think about who you're talking to right now. Let's, let's try this again. You know, we're, we're not going to even think about that. We're not even going to consider that right now. But the father agrees to it. He goes ahead and gives it to him. And you see here, not only that, but in the very next verse, he moves away, like he packs up his belongings, he's gone. He's not coming back. He's like, man, I've got my inheritance, I've got my money, see ya, and he is gone. We don't know where he goes, we don't know what he's doing, except he's going through life. The Bible says he's having some wild living. So you can imagine what that means. I don't necessarily have to spell that out for you, but I would imagine he's not doing great things. He's probably doing some things that would be shady. He's doing some things that would just be for fun, that would just be for pleasure. He's spending that money hand over fist like he doesn't even care. He's spending it like there's no tomorrow. But like every good thing, it comes to an end, right? So even in our story here, a famine breaks out. The money is all gone. The friends that he gathered, I'm sure, left him long ago. And he has to go make some money because he's out of money all that inheritance and I would imagine that was a pretty good bit it's gone like there's no getting that back there was no just kidding here's your real inheritance he's spent it all he's done away with it all he's wasted it all so he's working for this man he's working in the fields he's taking care of the animals he's so hungry that even the food that he's giving to the animals looks good enough to eat that's how desperate he is and that's how lost he is because this man, this boy, when he was living at home, he had everything he needed and he still had an inheritance. Now that's all gone and he has nothing. He doesn't even have any food to put in his mouth. That's how lost he is. Then, then we get to verse 17. And you know, sometimes... I like to tell jokes, I like to hear jokes, I like to tell funny stories, but sometimes truth 
is so much stranger than fiction. That's how the saying goes. But sometimes the truth is funnier too. And the Bible sometimes can be funny if you let it. Verse 17, right off the bat, Jesus put in this very, to me, funny editorial comment. Right off the bat, it says, when he finally came to his senses. I can imagine the audience when Jesus is telling this story being like, yeah, this guy's an idiot. Like, I don't know why he would do this. I don't know why he would be disrespectful to his father. I don't know why he would waste all his inheritance. This guy is nuts. And Jesus is saying, yeah, when he came to his senses, he realized he can't keep on living like this. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, and before I tell you what I want you to say, I just want you to think about this. You know, what we're about to read is a dialogue that he's contrived in his brain between himself and his father. And I can imagine that from this moment till the time he's traveling home, he's just playing and replaying this scenario in his brain. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I imagine while he's traveling on the pathway home, he's probably pretending what his father would even say to him, you're right. You don't deserve to be my son. Go out in the fields and take care of my pigs. Take care of my animals. And he's probably like, oh, thank you. Thank you for taking me back. He's just probably playing and replaying this scenario. He's probably just imagining what his older brother would say. He's imagining what his father would say. He's probably even imagining what the other servants that his father even has would say and what they would feel on his way back home what his life's going to look like now. Verse 20, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he strolled over to his son. He walked over to his son. He tiptoed over to his son. No, that's not what it says. It says he ran to his son. So, this son is coming home, but before he was even close enough for anybody else to see him, when he was a long way off, his father saw him and ran to him, welcoming him back home. I can't imagine how long that this father has been waiting for him. I can't imagine how long that this father has been watching the roads. When is my son going to come home? I would imagine this isn't just a couple of weeks. This has probably been quite a few years that his son has been away from home. And the father has been looking at the roads and wondering, hey, is today the day that my son's going to come home? His joy when he finally saw his son welled up him in so much that he ran to greet his son. But, again, the son's been rehearsing this conversation, so he starts it out. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Before he could even finish, before he could even make his ask to be a hired servant, his father interrupted him 
and started talking to the servants. Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fattening. I didn't know you did that. I didn't know that you just have animals that you just get fat. I didn't know you did that until I read this, but apparently it happens. So kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he has found. As the story goes on, they begin this celebration. The older son comes in. He sees that there's some kind of party going on that he's not at yet. He's asking the servants what are going on, and they're telling him, and he gets upset, and he's, now he's complaining to his father. He's like, look, Dad, I didn't wish that you were dead. I didn't wish for my, your, for my money from you before you died. And you've never thrown a party like this for me. What is going on here? I've been here this whole time. I've served you faithfully. I've been this dutiful son. And the crazy part is, is you would think that this father would rebuke him like, no, son, I don't, I don't understand why you feel that way. No, son, you shouldn't feel this way. He listens to him, and he says, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything that I have now is yours. It's not his. He's already spent his inheritance. Everything that I have is guaranteed to go to you. But we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. That's how the father in this story felt about his younger son who had left home. You know, traditionally, people call this text the tale of the prodigal son or the tale of the lost son. And so that's what's happening here. And when you, when you hear this story, I just can't help but imagine what an amazing story that Jesus just told his disciples and the people that are around him, the people that were listening to him teach. This was an amazing story. And you know what? It brings to my mind quite a few things. One of the things that it brings to my mind is this statement, and I'm sure many of you have heard this phrase before. And the phrase is just three simple words, and the three simple words are this, God loves you. Now, that statement is absolutely true. There's nothing wrong with that statement. God loves you. He created you. You're not an accident. I don't know what anyone has told you. I don't know what anyone has ever said to you, even as a young child or as a teenager, even as an adult. You have a purpose for your life. God loves you. He sent Jesus to die for your sins on the cross so that you didn't have to pay the penalty for your sins. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. You might be thinking, well, I, I, I'm too old to accomplish God's plan for my life. Not true. God loves you. That's a very true statement. It's an extremely true statement, and I wouldn't want to say anything to discourage that because that's absolutely true. But the phrase that God put on my heart when he gave me this sermon that I think he wanted me to share with you was this. It's four words. God still loves you. God still loves you. This younger son, he screwed up. He screwed up terribly. He was disrespectful to his father. He, you know, squandered his wealth. He squandered his inheritance. He squandered all the money that his father had given him. He was lost. And his father still loved him. And the crazy part is of that human father 
in this fictitious story can still love his younger son? How much more can your father in heaven still love you? Now, I say that to say this. Many of us in the crowd right here today, many of you in this audience would, would say, I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. I serve Jesus. But as we know about life, life with God isn't a straight line. Life with God isn't perfect. It's not like, hey, I came to Jesus and everything is a-okay for the rest of your life. Life comes with wrong turns. Life comes with dead ends. Life comes with pitfalls and trips and falls and all that along the way. God still loves you. Now, I say that about the trips and the falls and all that. We know that God doesn't cause any of that. He doesn't cause us to fall. He doesn't cause us to trip. He doesn't cause us to take a wrong turn. Hey, we do that all on our own, right? Like, we do that all on our own. But in the middle of all that, God still loves you. I told you earlier, you know, there's times where I focus on the details too much, and I get bogged down with the details, and I can feel so apathetic. I don't care that, you know, if I'm doing a good job or not. I don't care if I'm being nice or not to somebody else. I don't know. I don't care if I'm being kind. I don't care what it is. In the middle of that, God still loves me. So I wonder today, how about you? God still loves you. Uh, your life may not have all the joy that it used to have. You know, you might not wake up every day, and you might not feel the same that you used to. God still loves you. You might not have the peace in your heart that you once had. You know, you might be thinking, ah, oh, there's just so much on my mind. I can't stop worrying about this. I can't stop for, uh, being stressed out about this. God still loves you. Maybe you're realizing that your patience is growing thin. You know, like, you know, I used to be so patient, and now the quick, the simplest things can make me just fly off the handle, and I don't understand where's that coming from. I don't understand why that's a part of my life right now. God still loves you. So you may notice that there are some things in your life that you, maybe you've taken those wrong turns. Maybe you've fallen. Maybe you've tripped in your life with God. It's not that you've forgotten God. It's not that you've rejected God. And it's certainly not that he's rejected you because God still loves you. And maybe you're thinking, man, I just need to fix this. I need to fix this in my life. I don't want to be this lost person anymore. I want to come back, just like the younger son in the tale of the prodigal son. I want to come back to my father. And you know what? I'm going to tell you in just a few minutes how you can correct that. But I started this off by talking about the movie Christopher Robin. And as we saw right there, he was in the middle of having to work the weekend that he was supposed to be spending time with his daughter and his wife. And his wife didn't even pack his suitcase. She goes, you know what? You care more about this job than you care about us. We're going to go to the country. But what you didn't see is like a whole chunk of the movie. And it's a cute movie. So I do encourage you, like, if you have Disney Plus or if you have access to movies or rentals, check it out. Like, you can check it out with your family. It's a great movie. But there's a whole lot that happens behind the scenes. So that's happening with Christopher Robin. But meanwhile, in the hundred acre woods, Winnie the Pooh wakes up one day and he can't find his friends. It's a foggy day. It's a dreary day. He can't find Piglet. He can't find Tigger. He can't find any of his friends. And he's stumbling around the woods trying to find them. So the only thing he finds is the opening 
the gateway that Christopher Robin used to take from his home to the Hundred Acre Woods. So having no more hope and needing some help, and Christopher Robin hasn't been here in a long, long time, Pooh goes through the opening, and he winds up smack in the middle of London, England. So there's a huge adventure that Christopher Robin finds Pooh, and he's like, what are you doing here? What are you, you know, you're talking, people are thinking that I'm weird, and, and Pooh, being Winnie the Pooh, is saying some goofy stuff and asking for honey and telling him how hungry he is, and he's just being what he calls a bear of very little brains. And we just kind of go through that. But then what ends up happening is Christopher Robin can't figure out a way to get Pooh back to the Hundred Acre Woods. So what he does is he sneaks Pooh on a train ride to his country home. So his wife and his daughter are literally right there, and he's having to, like, tiptoe past them with this stuffed bear who's talking and saying some goofy stuff to get back to the Hundred Acre Woods, and he does. And he gets in the Hundred Acre Woods, and he's looking for Pooh's friends with Pooh, and he's like, this is so dumb. i got to be working. I've got to figure out how to cut 20%. Why am I here? What am I doing? And then he ultimately finds them. He finds the friends. He reunites them back with Pooh. And I think along the way, he realized some things. He realized his priorities were a little bit off. Um, Like, for instance, he's been carrying his briefcase with him the whole time. And one of the characters says, what's this? And he goes, well, it's my briefcase. What's in your briefcase? He goes, oh, it holds all my important things. And he goes, well, what about Madeline? I keep hearing about Madeline. Who's that? And she's like, oh, that's my daughter. Well, do you care about Madeline? And he's like, yes, I care about Madeline very much. More than your case of important things? Well, yes, that's a silly question. I care about my case. I care about Madeline more than my case of important things. Well, where's she at? You've got your briefcase. Where's Madeline? So he has kind of a came-to-his-senses type moment, just like our younger son did in our story, our Bible story. So I have one more clip that I want to share with you. Again, he's come to his senses. He's starting to realize some things, and he has a conversation with Winnie the Pooh. Hello, Pooh. Hello, Christopher Robin. I'm so sorry, Pooh. I'm so terribly sorry. I should never have shouted at you. Well, I am a bear of very little brain. No, Pooh. You are, I think, a bear of very big heart. You'll be happy to hear that everyone's safe and sound. I saved them from a heffalump, which was, in fact, well, me. And Owl's Weathervane. I'm sorry I wasn't there. But I am rather glad that I was here, waiting for you. Thank you for waiting for me, Pooh. It's always a sunny day when Christopher Robin comes to play. Hmm. Not so sure about that. Not who I used to be. Of course you are. You're our friend. Look at how you saved everybody today. You are our hero. I'm not a hero, Pooh. I'm lost. But I found you, didn't I? So Christopher Robin was lost. He wasn't the, the man that he thought he was going to be. He wasn't the boy that Winnie the Pooh remembers. And in our Bible story today, the younger son was lost. Even the father said that, you know, he was dead and now he's back to life. He was lost, but now 
he's found. God still loves you. So ironically enough, both Christopher Robin and this younger prodigal son, they had to go home in order to find their answers or to figure out what's wrong or to be restored. So, I have one kind of big point. Obviously, I had the one about God still loves you, and that's true. And there's one more thing, though, that I want you to remember today, and it goes like this. When you feel lost, coming home to God is the only way to be found. Remember, God still loves you. When you feel lost, coming home to God is the only way to be found. The good thing about God is it's not like fool me once, you know, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. He's not like that at all. He still loves you. Coming home to God is the only way to be found. I've lived in Delaware now for 11 years, and I do consider Delaware my home. You guys are here. My church is here. My career is here. Obviously, Desiree's here. My in-laws, our family are here. My friends are here. So it is home to me. Delaware's home for me. But if you look at my shirt, Pastor Ryan mentioned, that doesn't look like Delaware. In fact, it looks backwards on your shirt. Well, that's because I'm not from Delaware originally. I'm from Mississippi. And my mom still lives in Mississippi. And um, my extended family's in Mississippi. And so usually what we do is we go to Mississippi in the summertime to see my mom and to catch up with my family. So I feel extremely lucky that I don't just have one home. I have two homes. So, but really, I've got three. I've got Delaware, I've got Mississippi, and I've got God. And the crazy part is, is when you feel lost, coming home to God is the only way to be found. When I'm feeling messed up, when I'm feeling stressed out, when I'm feeling scared, I don't know what's going to happen. Coming home to God is the only way to be found. The younger son in our Bible story, the father was waiting for him to come home. He ran to him when he saw him. He, you know, he was given his little speech, asking to be a hired servant. His father didn't even hear it. He was like, look, we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate. You were dead, and now you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. So like I said, I have two homes here on earth, but I've got another home in God. And in God, God's not a place, I get it, but like I find home in God. When I was a teenager (laughs) in my home church, we had Sunday school. That's all right. Whatever. We don't have Sunday school now. Whatever. But we had Sunday school back then, and we had a teenager, youth group, whatever you want to call it, Sunday school class. And my youth pastor at the time found this book by Max Lucado called The Great House of God. And I don't have a whole time to go into all that. But the very first Sunday that we all had our copies of Great House of God, we were going to read it together. It was going to be great. Like we were, we were preparing to have, you know, this great book. And it's a good book, too, if you want to read it, The Great House of God, Max Lucado. It's an older work. It talks about the Lord's Prayer. But our first time that we talked about it, my youth pastor just looked at the title, and he said, The Great House of God. What do you imagine when you hear that phrase? 
And we were sitting in a circle. So naturally, we just went around the circle talking to everybody. And everybody had pretty good answers. You know, like one of my friends said, I imagine this beautiful mansion, this beautiful palace. I imagine heaven. You know, another friend said, I imagine God's there. I imagine Jesus is there. I imagine like these beautiful stained glass windows. I mean, everybody had these great answers. And then he got to me. And I don't know if you know this, but I think a little bit differently. It's okay. I do. I'll just go ahead and tell you. I think a little bit differently. And so I was kind of like looking around the room, and he was like, Jason, what do you think of when you think of the great house of God? And I think what was happening was people were focusing on the word great, and I was focusing on the word house. (laughs) So I said, here's what I imagine. Couches, chairs, and coffee mugs. (laughs) And they're like, what? Chairs? couches and coffee mugs? And I'm like, yeah, what do you do at home? I don't look at stained glass windows. I don't have this beautiful mansion. I sit around. I hang out with my family. That's what I think of when I think of the great house of God. I just think about being with God, right? I find joy there. I find love there. I find peace there. I find purpose there. And the crazy part is, you can too. God isn't just my God. He's not just my Father. He's our Father, right? He's our God. God loves you. God still loves you. When you feel lost, coming home to God is the only way to be found. Will you stand with me, please, this morning? Maybe, like the prodigal son, maybe like Christopher Robin, you've lost your way. Now, the funny part is about this story as I was watching the movie and I was kind of thinking what's going on here. Christopher Robin thought he was doing everything right. He had a job. He's not doing any, he's not having that wild living that the prodigal son was doing. He had a job. He was focused on his career because he wanted his family to have a future. And nothing's wrong about that. Like, I want to get that across. There's nothing absolutely wrong with having a job and thinking about your family and thinking about your family's future. But what happened was, was he got so lost in that that he forgot to be present with his family right then and there. They were having fun in the other room, and he shuts the door in their faces so he can go back to work on the typewriter. And they're thinking, oh, daddy's going to come and play with us. Slam. And then he just goes back to work. In our Bible story, the prodigal son, you know, he thought, man, you know, I've got all this money now. I'm rich. I can do whatever I want. I don't have to listen to my father anymore. I am loaded with cash right now. But all that went away, and he was just as lost. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't even have a family because he's not with them anymore. They're back home. So maybe you've lost your way. Maybe you've gotten distracted by life. Maybe you've lost your focus. You've taken your focus off God. You've put it back on yourself. You've put it back on some things in your life. (sighs) Maybe you've lost your way. 
But the good news is, is just like Christopher Robin, just like the younger son, you too can be found. So I want to challenge you with this. Come on back home to God. Come on back home to God. So this morning, as I've been sharing and and doing what I do and doing it rather poorly, (laughs) if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, and I say that because you might be feeling some things right now, and you might be like, I don't understand what I'm feeling. You know, I'm feeling kind of uneasy right now, and I'm not trying to be funny at all, but it's not hunger pains. It's not your blood sugar. It's not gas. It's not any of that. It's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. He's the one who's speaking to your heart and speaking to your mind right now. And the worst thing that you can do is to just be like, oh, I feel this. Once this song is done and once Pastor Ryan prays and dismisses us, I'm going to leave. Ooh, I feel so much better. And your life is no different than it was when you walked in the room at 1030. That's the worst thing that you could do. So I, I did say I wanted to challenge you with this. Come on back home to God. And you might be saying, well, what's that going to look like, Jason? What's that going to look like? Well, what does that mean, come on back home to God? I mean, it's not like I'm going to walk through that door and all of a sudden I'm home. But what I'm going to challenge you to do today is maybe you need to take some time right now, right here at Anchor Church, to get alone with God. Maybe you want to bow your heads and pray. Maybe you want to take a knee and kneel and pray. Maybe you want to come forward and pray. I don't know. It's whatever you feel like you need to do to come on back home to God. Whatever that looks like for you. God loves you. God still loves you. And when you feel lost, coming home to God is the only way to be found. The worship team is going to play. The worship team is going to sing. But if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart right now, I'm not going to have you raise your hands. I'm not going to have you do any of that. But I also don't want you to ignore it and just leave here. I want you to take some time to just get alone with God right now and pray. You might be wondering, well, what am I going to say? What am I going to say to God? I, I don't even know what I'm feeling right now. That's just it. You don't have to have the perfect words. The son, he walked home, and as he's walking home, he's going over his little scenario. He's playing that scenario in his head. And his father didn't even really hear that. He just said, you know what? You were lost, and you're found. Let's celebrate. You were dead, and now you're alive. If I were you, and, and God was talking to me, I would, I, would just, I would just admit it. Just say, hey, God. I've screwed up. I'm lost. I've lost my way. And here's why I've lost my way. And you can list it. You can, I mean, everybody's different. So your list might be different from mine. You could say work's getting in the way. You know, pressure's getting in the way. Stress is getting in the way. Whatever it might be. And then I want you to say, but God, I don't want that. I want you. You still love me. You still love me even though all this is in my life. You love me even though I've taken those wrong turns. You love me even though I've tripped and fallen in this walk with you. You still love me. So I want to challenge you. Come on back home to God. Find some time to to get alone with him right now and pray and, and express to him. Tell him how you feel. Tell him what's going on. And let him love on you a little bit. I don't know if we do that enough in modern church. We don't let God love on us as much as he used to. 
He wants to. I don't know if we do. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the simple truths, God, that God loves you. God still loves you. And that when you're lost, coming home to God is the only way to be found. God, there's times in my life, even as a youth pastor, even as a school teacher, even as a husband, God, that I've lost my way. I get distracted. I take my focus off you. I think about the problems. I think about what's stressing me out. I think about what's bothering me. I think about what's happening in the future or what decisions I need to make. And that gets in my way of just spending time with you and just loving you and trusting in you for all that. God, I know that you have a plan for my life, and I know that you love me, and I know that your son died on the cross for my sins, but God, sometimes I forget all that because I just get so focused and lost in the details and lost in things that I shouldn't even be worrying about, God. And God, I know there's people around this room right now. Your sons and your daughters are here right now today. We're here in church together. And God, your spirit is speaking to hearts right now. And God, right now I pray that everyone in this room that you're speaking to, God, I pray that they don't just ignore it. I pray they don't just wait for lunch or as soon as they can get out of here, they can. But God, I pray that we find some time to come on back home to you. And we feel your love that you want to give us and we listen to you and we open our hearts to you and we remember what's truly important in our lives I pray God so speak to your people God speak to your children let's pray man what an important message what an important message for us to hear what a awesome way to finish this at the movie series man pastor jason thank you can we thank pastor jason right now for that that message is awesome great job communicating the heart of god i didn't realize how powerful the word still is i didn't realize how powerful how meaningful meaningful the word still is thank you pastor jason thank you god God still loves you. He still loves me. After serving the Lord for over 20 years, I still need to hear that. God, thank you. Thank you that your goodness is always running after us. You're, you're always watching for us. You're always chasing us. Every time I walk away, you are there waiting. God, even when I turn my back on you, you're still saying that you love me. Thank you. Thank you. All my life you have been faithful. And I'll sing of the goodness of our God. Thank you. I want to end 
by saying one last prayer, one last benediction, and then we could be dismissed. May the love of God be with you all. May you be reminded that he still loves you. May the grace of Jesus be with you all. May the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday.